Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm very happy to be joined again today by Josh Blank, research director of the Texas Politics Project. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks for having me back. We're here in the studio at UT, and and when we were last here, we took last week off because we sort of decided to take weeks off now and again. When we were last here just a couple of weeks ago, the politics and border security and the COVID pandemic kind of briefly harmonizing in Texas uh, (laughs) was our topic with, you know, Governor Abbott's synchronized renewal of disaster declarations in both areas. Um, You know, the plot has only thickened since then, shall we say. Um, That's for sure. I think you're maybe, you know, a little ahead of the curve. Well, so, I, love, I, love, yeah, I love your use of the word harmonize. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, for him, I think it kind of was, at least at the moment. Brief, yeah, briefly. Yeah. You know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the release of those two renewals and the fact that nobody really picked it up. And, you know, I, I talked to a couple of reporters about that since then, and they were like, well, he kind of has to regularly do this. And so it's not really news was kind of the implication. I think news is not just the thing itself, but in the context yeah, but we, you know, we could. I mean, there's. I, I have a version. I have a response to that, but I want. I think I'll. I'll save it for right. later in I'll, a different area. I think. Well, I'll bet we'll be able to come. We'll back. put a pin in that one. <laughs> in in the, the put a pin in it podcast. Right. Um, so since then, there's been a you know just to follow up on the you know a decidedly less synchronized right you know collision of the two issues of COVID and border security in Washington, you know, last week and, you know, sort of in the last 10 days or so, I mean, at the national level, it was very interesting because on the, on the, to me anyway, I, you know, on the, t- on the following up on what happened in Texas with these two quietly laid out disaster declarations. Quiet disasters. Oh, uh, it's the quiet disaster, like the quiet storm. Yeah. Um, you know, two things happened in Washington at the, you know, centered in, the Democratic Congress and the Biden uh, the, the Biden White House. First was the announcement that the CDC plans to end the Title 42 COVID-19 immigration policy that required asylum seekers to remain in Mexico while their cases were being adjudicated. And, you know, CDC made what, you know, they said was a pandemic, you know, public health driven decision yeah. to end this policy because of the winding down of the pandemic now. Yeah, you know, it's... probably, you know, and and that was on the, you know, and so that's on the calendar now for May 25th, but coincides with the upsurge, you know, the up to, you know, the upsurge in migration that we expect seasonally right. this time of year. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a kind of surface distancing from the White House on that that seems, I guess, plausible. Well... <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I mean, I think this is where the criticism is being laid so much among, you know, at the Biden administration and Democrat. I mean, there's less surface level sort of, you know, criticism coming from Texas now, I mean, directly. Right. But this has been the issue is that, you know, 
it's kind of hard to, you know, circle the square, as we like to say sometimes here, right, where kind of figuring out exactly what the policy dynamic and the political dynamic and right. you know, whether the two are are even intersecting really like honestly like as much as they probably should normatively here right. in a way they're not i mean there's part of me that like looks at this and just says you know if we just take a step back for a second say like okay so pandemic era panda, pan, pandemic panda, pandemic era restrictions that basically close our borders to asylum seekers regardless of seasonal flows of migration because they're going to happen no matter what like so we're supposed to keep those in place forever right i mean you know so there is a question here as we're winding down from the pandemic that we do have to like rescind these you know these sort of pandemic era rules and the point is kind of becoming clear it's like well which rules and it kind right. of depends on who you ask and here you know the, there's one side this is like well this is a clear political opportunity because of seasonal migration and now because of you know basically what is a winding down of pandemic era rules you're creating a political crisis that can be exploited right but the fact is it's so clearly visible that this was going to happen yeah which I mean, makes people kind of question who is at the wheel here right and and, and in terms of yes you know, the sheer politics of it you know this is a this is an associate this is a policy that was associated with donald trump mm -hmm. um and in which you know i think the general sense when this was put in place was that there was a rationale for it you know in terms of public health but that you know, Democrats felt like the Trump administration doing this was in bad faith. Well, yeah, and people have been writing for months about the fact that they feel that, you know, at least, at least in sort of Democratic activist circles that the Biden administration has not moved fast enough right. to rescind so that a lot of these Trump-era you know, Trump policies. Whereas on the other hand, if you're a moderate, if you're one of the handful of moderate Democrats, mm -hmm. or Demo put it this way, Democrats elected from moderate districts, and there are several of those. And I say, or, or even, you know, or setting aside ideology, in Texas, you know, Democrats elected to border districts. Right. So, the, you know, there were, the, yeah, there were a couple of different groups of, you know, several different groups of Democrats that, you know, kind of said, maybe this isn't the time to do this. And the middle ground that emerged and suggestions from some of them was, no, we definitely have to undo this, sort of acknowledging the right. humanitarian piece of this, but also saying perhaps we should wait. And there is, you know, and they had at least a little bit of the, the cover of the spread of yet another variant mm -hmm. that is... You know, spreading, you know, a little more prominent in the Northeast as right. we're recording this. Certainly, you know, a whole other topic, a real, you know, issue in China right now and in parts of Europe, et cetera. Right. Um, but, it, you know, I, I termed it a collision, not just because of the collision on that, but also that as this, as CDC and the CDC announced this, um, a deal had been cut for after a lot of back and forth on a $10 billion COVID relief bill that the Biden administration had been working very hard to pass. I think the original allocation was closer to 15 billion. They, you know, pared it down to 10 billion. It was a bipartisan deal. Mitt Romney had helped, you know, would had been one of the brokers, mm -hmm. you know, to set the stage. It passed the House, was about to go to the Senate. And as soon as this was announced, you know, Romney released a letter saying, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about this yeah. some more. That's now on the shelf. Right. Now, and this also plays into another you know, and, and this is where you get, you know, to my mind, a kind of a collision and attention here. And that mm -hmm. on one hand, the policy pronouncement is CDC saying, you know, we are, you know, it's time to end this policy right. for all the reasons we've talked about. On the other hand, they're, you know, the Biden administration is going to Congress and saying, we need billions of dollars because we're out of the previous money and we need to move on to the next stage of fighting the pandemic. So that's very easy. I mean, look, from a even reasonable, I mean, I don't think you have to be a policy sophisticate to see that the two things are not necessarily inconsistent 
that much of the pandemic money was to work on next level vaccines. It's, uh, you know, things that weren't necessarily emergency response like we've seen a year ago where we're going out and buying masks and, you know, this kind of thing. But the surface level did. It's easy. It's easier if you're hostile to the Biden administration to look at this and kind of go like, what are you guys doing here? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and this dovetails with the conversation last week where it's really sort of, you know, odd and sort of having followed the local politics to the, you know, the statewide politics of the COVID response for the last you know, number of years. And then to see Abbott again, sort of quietly renew the disaster declaration, necessary or not, but acknowledging the fact that we're still, you know, There's still in issues. a pandemic. Right. But at the same time, sort of, you know, having downplayed it for, you know, the better part of the last couple of years. So, I mean, this is, you know, it's yeah. funny. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's like, it's sort of a who wore it better. I mean, they're both yeah. kind of sitting here kind of dealing with, you know, similar but dynamics, but from different, you know, the different sides. Right. right? And I and I want to underline that I think that, you know, there's a grown up way to look at where we are in the pandemic that acknowledges yeah. the facts on the ground that can say we still have a pandemic situation, but the parameters of the situation are different now than they were a year ago. And, in a significant way. And but there's also an election in seven months. But and then there's this whole thing about that little election. So which brings us <laughs> to the way that, you know, to my mind, these fans have been flamed, you know, in Texas in the last week. So Governor Abbott, you know, jumped in the reaction to, to what the, the what the Biden administration was talking about in terms of uh, ending the remain in, in Mexico pro, uh, pro, uh, program. Policy, yeah. Um, you know. At the at the top, at the most general level, you know, was among the many who criticized right. it in general. Yep, sure. You know, and, uh, you know, although, but he, opposition party. That's right. What we expect. But this was an area where you know we've talked at various times about Greg Abbott navigating the space between making sure that he is not leaving too much space to his right, mm-hmm. and yet being fairly calculating and in. You know, all this talk about sometimes his judicial temperament. Well, I think this was more the former than the latter in this in this circumstance, although, you know, one can make, you know, because, in, in, you know, he announced some new measures and, and, and announced them with some pretty raw, you know, red meat rhetoric, I would say. It was I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I would say so. Right. I mean. So what are what are the let me yeah. just get in, let's just get into those decisions. What did they announce? Yeah, what did they? So do? the first was you know sort of very clear we're gonna we're gonna bus these migrants to D.C. <laughs> right, and then later we found well you know I remember we were talking about something and I said to you I don't I don't know if you can just like put someone on a bus and like just send them to another state. I'm pretty sure you know. Maybe not legal. Maybe not legal. Now again, I, as I, I'm not a lawyer though, but turns yeah. out you know very quickly it's like. These are voluntary trips, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so obviously we're not forcing, you know, basically busloads of migrants to D.C. Uh, and then there's this policy of increased inspection of Mexican trucks crossing the border. Obviously, the federal government already inspects every truck that comes across the, the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, they do it with a lot of technology. They do it pretty comprehensively, as I understand it. Uh, the Texas policy is a little bit different because Texas can't actually go and start opening up trailers. So what they do is they do mechanical checks, which is what they're already allowed to do. Right. In the same way that you can't just throw people on buses, you can't just stop trucks and just start doing what you open want. Open them up without some semblance of probable cause. Right. I so, think. so this isn't a. So even though the policy's ostensibly been, you know, basically proposed is look, we need to stop all the drugs and all of the people who are being pulled in through these commercial trucks. The reality is that once they get through the federal check, really all they can do is kind of, you know, make sure that the trucks actually are compliant with Texas roads. 
Right. So what? Safe, this, so they're safety checks, and they've gone for, well. They're safety checks, and they used to be basically random, more or less. It sounds like, and now they're being comprehensive. And so you know what people are saying from what I've read is you know trips that used to take you know could take thirty minutes are now you have truck drivers who are sitting there for you know three, six, twelve, twenty hours, and some number of them also then being sidelined completely if they don't pass the safety check right. and need to remedy. And this. so that's yeah. led to. A reaction, sort of. I, I don't know if you would call it a. a tr- is, is it a trucker protest? Well, I don't know. Anyway, this is confusing. Yes. Truck driver protest on the southern border. It's going to be a dissertation or at least a master's thesis somewhere <laughs> on trucker activism. I, yes. Post <laughs> post globalization and the trucker activism colon modes of protest in the uh, right. So, dr- so drivers on the other side of the border are now basically protesting, which is stalling traffic going back out. Of Texas. And that's focused, yeah, and that's focused in far Reynosa. Yeah, and so if people don't know, I mean, just as an aside, like, a ton of the overland trade in the U.S., I mean, a huge, huge percentage. And last time, I don't want to say a percentage because I kind of have one in my head from the last time I looked, but it's still kind of guessing. But it's the majority of overland kind of trucking trade is coming through Texas. It's coming through these borders. Like, this is a a big thing. Uh, So, obviously, this is, you know, (laughs) resulted in slowdowns, pushback on the Mexican side. And, you know... It kind of aggravates supply chain issues so much so that, you know, even some Republicans, notably Sid Miller, of all people, is coming out to say, hey, maybe this isn't a good policy. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, of the candidates, if you were to come to me and say, hey, name me three or four people that you think will, you know, make a statement on this. The ag commissioner probably would have been so, so on number the list. one, I mean, that's true about anything, right? <laughs> number one. And number two, it's not the fact that he's making a statement. It's the it's the acknowledgement that, you know, the sort of sane kind of response to this is coming from Sid Miller. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So, what you know, I mean, there's so many things about this that are interesting, I think, to us in the way that we think about this. Yeah. Right? I'm, I mean, look, you know, the... You know, the most obvious reading, I heard there was a story on NPR this morning. I'm not sure if it was produced in, I think it was produced in Texas by one of the Texas stations. I only caught the end of it, Mm -hmm. so I was getting ready. But that, you know, had a guest, you know, sort of a soundbite from somebody saying, somebody opposed to the policy, no doubt. Yeah. um, Saying, look, this is about the politics, you know, and, you know, beginning end. (laughs) Yeah. You know, now I think that's probably a little reductive, but the politics are a necessary but not sufficient part of this explanation. Here's the, here's perhaps. Th- well, here's the thing for me: like I, I, that's I, my I, view, I, I find myself basically agreeing with that because the policy itself is so distant and unrelated to the actual problem that's supposedly spurring the policy. Right. Like if we were looking for you know migrants being you know again ferried across inside truck trailers, well, we're not actually doing that, right? Right. Uh, you know, ultimately, if this is about drugs and all that other stuff, I mean, isn't that what Operation Lone Star is supposed to be about? Yeah. And we know about the reporting of that and kind of how loose they've been with with sort of their success in terms of this. So, so maybe it's related to that. But ultimately, is any of this related to the CDC's lifting of, you know, rules that relate to refuge, you know, to basically asylum seekers? Yeah. I, 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 it has nothing to right, do with right. that to put, yeah, to put this, all. Yeah. To put this more directly, I would say, is is this a policy solution? To the policy problem, which that is the is Title suppo- Forty Two that supposedly revocation. instigated this, and the answer to that has to be, I think, yes. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. and so that's you know, it's fine. It is what it is. But, you know, we're all adults here, right? You know, right. we study politics, but to pretend it's anything else is kind of like okay. I mean, I just can't start from that proposition. Right. I mean, well, this is also. I mean, this is where you know we don't have to do it again per se. This is where we though, you know, as I kind of, you know. To quote myself. Yeah, no, I, I know. I've got, I know. I'm trying to think of how I'm going to not quote myself. <laughs> right. I mean, I get, you know, I was on a panel last week at um, 
the Lone Star Legislative Summit in, in Nacogdoches, which was great and a very fun experience. A lot of great people in Nacogdoches and a lot of political folks and a lot of legislators. Very, you know, very good event and enjoyed myself. But um, in which, you know, we kind of came around to this in a panel discussion I was on. I just said, look, I, at some point you have to just acknowledge that immigration is kind of, immigration and border security are kind of the Rosetta Stone of of Republican politics. Mm -hmm. You know, if you need to figure out, like, you know, when you look at some high visibility measure or any policy measure related to the border, you know, you can map it into the co the Republican coalition, and in particular, its ability to, to bind people and bring people together mm -hmm. and get the kind of reaction. We've talked about the, you know, the polling date on here a million times. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the fact that, uh, you know, simply put, most Republicans, you know, are liable to tell pollsters that they think Repu either immigration or border security the most important problem facing the state. Yeah, 50, it's a very 50 to 70 percent of Republicans right. almost every poll we conduct. So it's very salient and there's very little – there's a lot of consensus on the direction and the substance of the opinions that fall out of that mm -hmm. attribution of it as a problem. Republicans favor – you know, strong enforcement, restrictive, you know, restri restrictive immigration policies, et cetera. At least two thirds so, to three quarters on right, pretty we, much anything. Right. We have to get that out there just as the groundwork here for anybody that, you know, yeah. So I maybe mean, you're a new, new listener or something. Right. So groundwork laid. So I think something else that, you know, I've said before, probably on this podcast is that, you know, the, I did, what I expected at this point in time is, is, is a version of what we've seen. And what I mean by that is, you know, Abbott ran pretty far to his right, you know, throughout much of the primary season to fend off his challengers. And then the question becomes, OK, you know, we've talked about how far is too far. We've talked about, you know, this right. idea of like, well, what would a pivot look like? Right. And I've said before, you know, I think the pivot for Abbott is going to be back to the border, not to the middle but to focusing on this issue, and we've written, you know, actually wrote about this last week. There's actually or week before last. Yeah. There's actually a piece on the website on that kind of lays out some of the logic with some of this data on why immigration and border security represent not only a good move for Republicans seeking to shape the general election agenda, um, you know, but also make the point you were just making that. You know, the, the pivot is is not necessarily on the left-right spectrum. It's where the emphasis falls in terms of the issue agenda right. that you're trying to put in front of the electorate. Right. And that's, and that's valuable for Republicans for at least two reasons. One, look, if the election is about securing the border, no Democrat is winning. I mean, just play that thought experiment out however you want. It doesn't right. matter. Right. Um, you know, and so so. That's kind of that's sort of where we start. So then the question, but then the thing about like last week, I would say, or this this sort of what's happened here, uh, you know, this sort of, I think this might be an overreach. Well, to make the all right, sorry, let's, sorry, let's let's make ahead, let's sorry. make the A case ahead. first. I so, so, so just no, no, it's okay. Just the other, you know, the other A two two right. pieces of that that make this, oh, you yeah. know, seemingly yeah, yeah. A, a positive strategic move. Or one, obviously, you know, the general, you know, the general midterm election environment that we're in right now. Right. There's a there's a Democrat in the White House. Border and immigration policy right now are owned by the Democrats. And, so, it's, the, and it's the thing that Biden is rated the worst on right, among yeah, all but, the issues we tested. Yeah, Biden he, is not getting good ratings on that from Texans or from Americans, but especially from Texans. And there's, this, and there's no small share of Democrats who think he's doing a bad right, job on this issue, and, too. And it's a good issue with independence, et cetera. So being able to you know hang this on the, on the Biden administration is a good piece of this. And... You know, because the border issue attracts national press, um, you know, whatever you think of Greg Abbott's long-term ambitions yeah. <laughs> or whether that, you know, makes sense or not, you know, this does get 
Governor Abbott and Texas Republicans in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in the national press as a response to the Biden administration and highlights this as a problem. I think it was in Axios and Politico well, and think, this morning, and, et know, cetera. You know. Not to go down that road for any longer than we have to. It also distinguishes him from Ron DeSantis. Right. Ron DeSantis can't do anything like what Greg Abbott can do on the border because he doesn't have a border like that with Mexico. So it's just different, right. different, you know, it's a, it's a way to differentiate, you know. And so obviously we're talking about, you know, I mean, but also this we is, haven't said it, but we should we have to say it explicitly. So, you know, it raises this notion of Greg Abbott having national political ambitions, whether it's running for president or being a national political figure, yeah. subject for another podcast. Right. And one that's not going to be resolved but, in the near term. Anyway. But I would also say, even if that, even if you set that aside, he's also following a very, very long held playbook of positioning himself, you know, as others have in the same position as fighting backs against the federal government's failure, yeah. at least when Democrats are in control. Right. Well, right. you know, and one of the interesting things about this, I think historically, and this is a little, I will not digress too far here, I swear, but, you know, if you go back over the last 20 years, this even emerges... This is a even emerges periodically as position taking by Texas governors in response to other streams in the party. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the first real public breaks and, you know, people in, you know, the game knew that there was not a lot of love lost between Team Perry and Team George W. Bush in the late 90s and early 2000s over various issues. But one of the first times that Rick Perry really kind of publicly crossed the Republican president at the time, former Texas Governor George W. Bush, was over these issues. Right. So, you know, it's also it's also got this subtle element of, you know, sometimes that sometimes the the Texas federal government friction, I mean, I think you're right. It's it's most pronounced as we've seen in the last 15 years between Democratic and mm -hmm. Republic Republican uh, Republicans in Texas and Democrats in, in Washington DC. But it can also sometimes be a way of positioning yourselves internally in the Republican Party. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely... So, you know, so that's also a, you know, a, a thing, you know, and in some ways, I mean, some of it is just, it kind of goes back to the DeSantis point a tiny bit, although that's more about who has the opportunity to do oh. what. DeSantis just doesn't have any border with Mexico, which I'm sure he's... You lamenting? Know, he, or... might invade, <laughs> he might invade Louisiana from the panhandle yeah, to try to... Well, he wants to free the, the right. he wants to free the the Cajun folk who right, really right. see themselves as Floridians. Yes, but... Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and then and then kind of get into East Texas. And once you're in Louisiana, well, East right, Texas. Well. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like you know, the whole right. Gulf should be yours. Right, and this point. is you know, there's a funny thing about how Perry had to dial back the busing thing quickly because one Abbott. of the things, or that that Abbott had to dial back the busing because one of the things that was in the ether was people. There were people going, well, isn't that what Putin is doing with? Ukrainians and Russia's making them get on buses and go to Russia. I mean, I actually heard that. So yeah, well, I now mean, I mean, I, I brought up the issue of the fact that I mean, there is some optics about the idea of like, oh, so you're giving free rides to right undocumented immigrants to to get out of Texas. Yeah, the fallback position, and and I would say that after the initial rush of attention to this, it's kind of gone away in the last yeah, five you know, six days. On, it, it was a quick hit at a more meta level and, a, and an explicit like transition. You know, when you're talking about kind of thinking back over the 20 years and kind of the Perry-Bush dynamics and then kind of, you know, I mean, the one thing that sort of strikes me, and this is true about like politics generally, is how short people's memories are. Yeah. And this is just important because I think, you know, if you're someone who listens to this podcast, you probably are like, well, you know, let me tell you about what Ann Richard and like, <laughs> right. and it's like, 
And it's like, and now these people are saying this, but Adrian's just like, no one cares. And I, <laughs> and I love the, and I want the detail. You can have coffee with me. You can tell me all about it. And I'm interested, but when it comes to like thinking about voters, it's like it, what happened within the last like six to you know, 18 months. Right. It's and kinda, it better be something that happened that was big. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, we've seen, and there's some polling out right now that, and then like, you know, and I, we don't do this because I think it's a stupid question. I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, but like <laughs> to try to like figure out, you know, how do we assess blame here? Like who, who should we blame for, you know, inflation? And it's like Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Congress, and it's like, or the news media. And it's like, yeah, this is stupid. Of course, or the you're Russians. Gonna, or the Russians. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to say Joe Biden. Like he's the president. <laughs> it's a stupid question, you know? <laughs> And so, anyway, but I actually think, you know, the question that we can, right. so, so Abbott's pivoted to the middle, but it raises this kind of, this, this broader issue about like, you know, we're, you know, we're living in something right now. And the question is, if you say to right now, you go to normal, you know, just sort of your average kind of voter right now and you say, hey, you know, what's a bigger issue right now, inflation or immigration? Inflation is going to win. I think for most people, if you put it in a head to head, now I'm not saying it's not, the, you know, you see it at the national level, but, but here's the thing, but here's, here's, I know you're, you're shaking your head now. Let me just well, say, I'm pondering, ponder it because here, but here's the thing I would say, but part of that is because of something that I think is kind of interesting about this environment, right? Which is that, you know, going back to the thing, Joe Biden's been in office for less than two years and somehow he's responsible for all of the immigrants at the border and all of the inflation that we're experiencing in his, you know, 14 yeah. months in office. Fine. I don't care. As I said, you know, politics is politics. Greg Abbott has been in office since 2014 and apparently bears no responsibility for any of Texas's sort of lackluster recovery from the pandemic. I think that's great for Greg Abbott. But then the question becomes, why would I engage in a policy that could directly contribute to inflation and the economic issue in search of a po of an ineffective policy to show that I'm still as tough as I said I was on the border, which again, no one's really like, no one's trying to compete with you on the border at this point. So to me, like what I think, you know, earlier in the pandemic, you brought up the whole, the disaster declarations and Abbott at various points has played with this idea of like, can we mix this immigration and border security and COVID issue is sort of one thing, which has always been curious because it's like COVID's not a big deal if it's, in Amarillo, but it is a big deal if it's coming from across the border. And he's been playing with that idea and stuff. But now you're bringing inflation into this area of immigration and border security. And so I think, you know, if you, again, if someone goes and reads the agenda piece we read, and we talked about, you know, so what's Abbott trying to do, right? He's talking- <laughs> Set aside some time. If yeah, set aside some that. time. You, can, you might want to like think about a couple <laughs> Hash, of sittings. Hashtag long read. Yeah, it's a long read. <laughs> but if you look at, you know, what we talk about from, you know, the O'Rourke you know, campaign, the strategy for the Aurora campaign is to try to make the election a referendum on Abbott. You, you know, focus has been on the winter storm. It's been on the COVID response. But ultimately, like right now, all polling is really negative. National polling is really negative. State level polling is really negative. People are unhappy with the direction of state. They're unhappy with the direction of the country. Right. They're negative rate, uh, uh, ratings of the economy. They have native, negative ratings of their own personal economic situations. And to the extent that, you know, Abbott's basically taking this sort of, you know, quixotic border security, you know, thing and moving it into a point where you can say, is this actually making the economic situation worse? It seems to me that's a pretty silly risk to take. So what do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, I um, I mean, look, uh, you know, I, I'm probably about 75% there with you. But in this case, this this might be about, you know, not, yeah. not, not finding the Venn diagram, but getting the cable all the way to the house. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. You know, yeah. and, and what I mean by that yeah, is, yeah. I, agree yeah, that. I mean, I think all of this is sort of short-sighted and and a little riskier than we're used to seeing Greg Abbott be perhaps 
in that sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I, you know, I don't disagree with the fact that, you know, particularly the part of the argument that, you know, I, I have no doubt that in the next poll we do, which will be pretty soon, we will see the economy competing pretty strongly with people, you know, in, in people's estimation of the most important problem facing, certainly facing the country. Mm-hmm. You know, but I guess the question is, I mean, I mean, as you were, as you were laying that argument out, I was kind of thinking, well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Now, now it's not the same one-to-one trade-off setup that you have, but I mean, you know, the most important problem response will be a, a slight heat check on that argument. But I, I guess the other thing that I would say would actually go back to what you were saying a minute ago, which is, you know, I I think people do have pretty oversimplified understandings of things like Mm -hmm. inflation, right? right? And, you know, and so... You know how I, you know I probably judge the risk here a little bit lower than you're suggesting, although you didn't. You know, in terms of this going south on Abbott, just because I think that, you know, um, you know, as as you know, a political science, I think it was attributed to Brendan. This was a pretended to what's his name, Brendan Nyan, on Twitter. But I do think that that your average voter does have what he has called or is attributed to him the Green Lantern theory of the presidency, in which. You know, the president is expected to have magic powers to solve every problem, and therefore any problem that comes up, other political entrepreneurs can readily, yeah, you know, blame them for that problem. So, you know, to the extent that this goes south and, and you know, look, you know, uh, John Moritz had a story carried on the wires this morning or late yesterday that, you know, the work campaign, not surprisingly— is integrating this, you yeah. know, O'Rourke had well, a big event yesterday talking about economic damage, trying to, you know, make the the, yeah. c- the argument that you're making, I, you know, th- but it goes back to a broader problem we've talked about. I mean, you have to be able to, you know, actually it's a problem that we've talked about a lot and that I don't, I don't have a clear kind of sense for, which is, you know, how do you balance two things, right? On one hand, this powerful tendency for people to look at these, you know, a big macroeconomic problem like inflation, mm-hmm. have enough of an understanding to see what the inputs are and to realize that there's this is multi-causal and that you shouldn't just go, you know whose fault this is? Or, you know, I shouldn't say you shouldn't. It's useless to say that. But you're not. It's, it's a faulty explanation to go, you know what? The president caused this inflation. Yeah. The president could fix this and he's not. Yeah. You know, to saying, well, you know, Greg Abbott is making it worse by, you know, doing this, you know, by, by you know, imposing these instru- these these inspections. Well, but the other, you know, but the one more other piece I would add to that is also, well, let, let's stick with that. I am going to add the other piece just because it's, you know, it's almost residual. But there is a, I think, probably little understood, but I suspect very present feeling out there about because it, because there's a history of this as a policy mm-hmm. issue in Texas about Mexican trucks. We're not just talking trucks, which a lot of your average highway drivers don't like anyway. And they, speaking of complex policy problems, I don't know how many times you've been on the freeway and maybe even yourself and gone, oh, these effing trucks, 
you know, people don't go, oh, that's trucks. You know, he's trying to get like goods and he's trying to get products to so that I can I, I get should, I should say my wife was raised by a truck driver, so we right. don't say that. So you might have a different, you know, but see. We have a different view. But, but, but and a, not just any truck. Yeah. Mexican a Mexican truck. truck. Well, let right. me just let me just throw this out there. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but what I what I would say is is that you know, what started for O'Rourke is a very difficult sell, right? right. Trying to link Abbott, uh, you know, link link people's dissatisfaction with the state towards our you know Abbott's stewardship of the state broadly. You know, we guys said, look, you know, if it's going to rely on the winter storm, you know, you're kind of you're out of luck. I mean, that's that's receding in people's memories, like yeah. you know, are barring some sort of other event. You know, that's not really going to, like, activate people because it's just too far away at this point, right. right? But the issue of inflation is ever-present for everybody. It affects everything. It's affecting jobs. It's affecting housing. It's affecting, you know, kitchen table issues. And you see, like, the cost of gasoline, the cost of groceries are the things that are driving right. motion. This affects people on a weekly basis. Now, you know, it's one thing when you say, well, Operation Lone Star, we've got all these people. Well, you can say, well, you know, yeah, but, like, we do think the border needs to be secure. And, like, if this is what the cost is, yeah, so border. be it, right? Yeah. But... Now, and I'm sure economists are already doing this, you know, very quickly, but it's like, well, how much a day does it cost to inspect every single truck? How much GDP? I mean, basically, whatever, you know, if I'm, you know, the, you know, the work came, it's like, what is the largest number from among the things? Is it GDP? Is it whatever? Is it loss? Gross? But now you can say, look, Abbott's not addressing something seriously. He's not focused on the thing that people in the state are focused on, which are the things that you'd imagine most people are focused on. They're focused on, you know, housing, good jobs, you know, being able to get to and from those things, basic state Dare we call them kitchen table issues? We might call them kitchen table issues. You see, but instead, Abbott is mobilizing state resources to the tune of fill-in-the-blank dollars per day, right. right? And the thing, you know, and I was just like, you're creating the bridge. And I can't get any, I can't get any lettuce or I work in right. a Toyota the, factory and I yeah, can't I go mean, to work because like, there's no parts or. Right. All because, you know, he wants to get reelected and he thinks this is going to help. I mean, to me, like you are creating the bridge there that honestly the York campaign really needs. And the thing is, I think the damage is already done because what happens? Either they keep doing this and the costs keep adding up and it just becomes a big, big mess. And he's going to eventually, I would say, I mean, honestly, look like a fool because of the cost of all this. Or the flip side is we, you know, the policy gets rescinded at some point, but then you say, okay, for a seven-day political stunt, or for a ten-day or a two-week, the cost to the state of Texas was, right, X billion dollars, right? I mean, look, now again, you still have to land it, you still have to deliver all that, yeah. But the point is, I think where there wasn't a bridge before to make this point, you know, now you can basically take the bridge of like, look, this extremism, the extremism on these particular policy areas is actually affecting kitchen table issues. It's one thing for people to kind of passively say, yeah, you know, I more or less agree with this or whatever. But I think when you start to actually hit people in the place where they actually do have serious concerns, I think that, you know, I think that kind of throws a wrench into this. And I do think it creates a bridge for O'Rourke, whether he can use it, whether he can mobilize it, all these things, who knows. But I, you know, I'm I'm skeptical that this is a, you know, I mean, I think it's a bad policy idea, but from a political standpoint, I'm, I'm very skeptical. I think that's fair. I think, you know, I mean... Uh... I think it's we've been we've said many times and, and, you know, most everybody is saying this now because it's kind of obvious, you know, that for Bitter O'Rourke to, you know, have a shot at actually winning this rather or even getting close, but certainly at winning this, yeah. you know, something in the fundamentals have got to change. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think it's fair to say, you know, one at one point removed, something could be. You know, the rise of inflation and the general and, and we should also note, I mean, 
Overall, right now, the general economy is actually in pretty good shape. Inflation is a big problem. Can, can, I, can I say something about that real quick? Just, yeah. just like, I just like, I mean, I think we're also at a point, you know, maybe in sort of the measurement of public opinion and people's. I mean, you're talking about people's simple views towards the economy. We could spend a lot of time just talking about that. Yeah. But I want to say, like, I think we're kind of at a point now where we should just expect about half the population is always going to be dissatisfied with the economy. Yeah, right. I mean, and so that's so even this idea of like what you know, like what is a measure of the economy yeah. that's valid at this point? Well, it's like, well, you know, I think it matters a lot more at the margins and in the main. Than, well, you know? that's why I think you know it'll be interesting to see what we get. I think it's uh, interesting know, to see what happened our, with independence, you know, right. in the wake of all this. So, I mean, just to finish that thought, I mean, I, I think, I agree. I mean, I, you know, look, it, it would be malpractice for the O'Rourke campaign to not see this as a possible opportunity. So maybe we're, just, you know, our, our difference in interpretation here may just be one in magnitude or, you know, do I think they pro- they might unnecessarily be giving the O'Rourke campaign, you know, a possible opening yeah, probably. You know, if we really, you know, do the trade-offs, I think it's a little too early to tell. I mean, as you were, you know, sort of implying, we'll see how long they do this for. I mean, the Abbott campaign has also been pretty good about doing stuff and then just moving on and quietly, you know, and, and, and this is a sign of any good. Yeah. You know, anybody in a position of governance with some political sense knows how to quietly ramp down something. And I think they are pretty good at that. You know, and move on to the next thing and be confident that, you know, we're just going to keep moving on to the next thing. And in that sense, I think this is a little bit actually consistent. Mm, yeah, I can say Maybe a little bit riskier. A little rope dope maybe? A little riskier. Well, I, I, I just think it's consistent with, you know, what we were, you know, what we were suggesting in the piece we wrote a couple weeks ago, which is, you know, to the extent with a bunch of caveats that one part of campaign strategy yeah. is to keep the, the policy agenda that is central to the campaign and to your messaging in areas that favor you and don't favor, you know, there's an intersection here between depending on how it shakes out that there's a little bit of advantage for, for both campaigns, you know, which is kind of what you're suggesting. I think, I guess I'm just, uh, well, you're in the, I'm pretty confident in the, in the Abbott campaign's ability yeah. to continue rotating on to the next no. thing while, you know, the, the O'Rourke campaign is understandably trying to get some traction with this and trying to upset the dynamic. I'm just not very confident this is quite enough yeah. to do that. There's, I'll be quick. I mean, there's a risk to both, right? And the yeah. risk is for Abbott that, you know, by bringing, you know, economic uh, anxiety into the immigration, into the way that he's prosecuted or seems to be, you know— uh, executing his, you know, sort of border strategy, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it risks muddling the message in a way that could be disadvantageous to him, but it will require the, you know, the O'Rourke campaign's ability to like get into the immigration area and then reinforce the fact that, you know, this is actually what you should be looking at. The problem, of course, is if you're O'Rourke, you have to get into the immigration area. And as you saw, this is already difficult. What did he do today or yesterday? He quickly, you know, distanced himself further from Biden, distanced himself further from uh, the Title 42 revocation. And we know, and that's the other thing too, we know that, you know, we already said it, but, you know, Biden's numbers in Texas on immigration are poor. Yeah. And so ultimately, you know, that's the risk for, you know, I think O'Rourke here and obviously the reward for Abbott. Having said all that, right, and you think like, okay, let's say it's just a coin flip as to who wins on this, on, on the shaping of this. Doesn't mean they win the election. But on the shaping of this, I think by default, safe to assume Abbott is going to because of, you know, the fact that 
yeah. he has a lot of resources and a lot of success and, you know, a state that has backed kind of his approach. So right. it would be a sea change to see something else, which I think is why it is reasonable to assume that it won't affect him. But right. I mean, I think another way of you know, sort of putting all that is, you know, what the one thing that would help the O'Rourke campaign was to be able to end this battle for public attention and and agenda setting in the campaign. You know, is there something that would give the O'Rourke campaign the initiative? Yeah. And not make them reactive? Right. I just don't think this is it. <laughs> right? I mean, it could be, but I, you know, I'll be surprised if well, it is. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I say, I mean, the thing that comes to my head is, you know, we'll see what happens in the Supreme Court rules on the Mississippi case. And right. But that would be a different thing. That'd right? be a very but, different but, thing. That, very that's, different. Not, that's not this. No, that's right? not this. Okay. I think we have decomposed this to the nth degree. Uh, Josh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, good luck with your presentation this afternoon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks to our excellent production crew here in the Liberal Arts Development Studio, in particular the Crack Audio team here. Um, I'm Jim Henson, and uh, the material that we've referred to here, in particular the article on agenda setting, which we've been flogging, you'll find at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Have a good rest of the week, and we'll be back next week with another Second Reading Podcast. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 